0: So soldiers need each other to survive war but there are certain moments that are more important than others and this is what i saw in 2008 like they were just spending all their time online
1: they weren't team building and welcome to everyday leadership a podcast where you get to listen and learn how to lead yourself personally and professionally Through the lessons and life experiences my guests share in the hope that it challenges and inspires you to lead yourself from the inside out and not the outside in. Today I have the absolute pleasure of talking to a retired army major who served for I think was over like 25 plus years and is seen as one of the leading experts in urban warfare. He's an author. I was reading a really good book called "The Connected Soldier's Life, Leadership and Social Connections in Modern Warfare. And he's someone that I'm sure you'll have seen in your news channels because he is in everything when it comes to like CNN, BBC, Fox News, as media, New York Times, USA, just to name a few. So he is someone who's well sought after and we have the pleasure just Learning some of that insight and, and having that conversation for the next hour. How are you doing?
0: Well thanks, Sophie. It's great to be here with you and big fan of, of your show and, and learning learning every day.
1: I'm always like, how did your path to the military actually come about? I'm curious.
0: I mean it's it's pretty much the stereotypical young man in high school. From a low-income family, really, there wasn't a future for me after high school. It was either you know go to work in the town, um, and I looked to the army for all those bumper stickers of adventure, you see the world, get paid for college. So I, at the age of 16, actually I signed you know a contract, and then I, after I graduated at 17, went to the army and and just led an amazing, amazing career of seeing the world meeting people and leading people, I'm keeping that going. I still have a dream job.
1: When you think about from when you signed up to now outside of the army, but you're still involved. Was it everything you thought was going to be? Were there a lot of changes that has come up with your perception of it?
0: Yeah. I mean, absolutely. I, I tell people I grew up in the military, actually. I mean, I, I, my dad left when I was a small boy, my mom raised three kids while doing three jobs no real male influence. So when I joined the military, I was, let's say I was a blank slate could be influenced. And I was, I tell people now too, in reflection, cause I do a lot of, I'm getting older. I do a lot of reflections and that's what the, the book is really a memoir. Um, I was searching for something. I was searching for meaning. I was searching for who am I? And the military gave me that. So absolutely it was everything that I could have imagined, but I really had, didn't ha- know what I was looking for. And I think I discovered that the more years I went into, the more life that was exposed to me and, and challenges and developed me as an individual, as a soldier, as a leader, and as a person. And I, I tell people now, I mean, in my retirement ceremony, I talked about identity. So the military gave me identity. I was a soldier. I was a ranger. I was a leader, a commander. All these things are complex and very meaningful to humans and the more i reflect that was really what i was looking for i was looking for meaning identity community all these things now are real big passions of mine even in my post military career or when i talk to businesses or even if i'm on tv explaining to people what's going on in war some of it's very human and not that complex
1: trust you touched on Identity, because what I've seen and witnessed quite a lot is when you grow up in the military like you did, your identity is the military. So when you come out of it, it's a lot harder to kind of separate. But you've done it very, very differently. So how have you been able to actually not have the military be your core identity and, and just have it as an element of who you are?
0: It's still a part of me, and I, and you're right. A lot of people struggle deeply with leaving the military or. Especially if they, they've had combat experiences because they've had that heightened, pure level of community, brotherhood, tribe, meaning, all these things that, you know, I think go back to day one that I joined the military, searching for meaning and purpose and all these things. When I retired, I was teaching at, at West Point, uh, our United States Military Academy. I'd helped stand up a research center. I had found a passion for writing. And that was like gifts that were all given to me really at the end, like the last four or five years of my military career. And then as I was retiring there, I was doing so well at it. They offered me a job to keep researching war and writing about it. So now I get paid to research war and travel the world understanding the what we say, the kind of character of war. But really, I think... To answer your question, Sophie, my life changed when I had kids because my identity became a father and I'm in a dual military. I was dual military. So my wife was serving at the same time. Yeah, uh, I met her actually in Iraq in war. Uh, but once I had kids, my identity, my primary identity, so you can have multiple identities, but my sole purpose, primary purpose was being a father. So that really helped me and I I tell people, you know, some people don't have that much of an awakening when they have kids and and that's fine because we're complex human beings, but I attribute it to, you know, me growing up without a father. I'm very adamant that that's my my role in life. I I can have many, I can do many things and, but having kids was really that moment. And then we made a decision that we couldn't both be in the military and lead or parent the way we wanted to. So I, I retired, but then- was able to keep doing the things I love, which is, you know, understanding military, understanding leadership, and all these things that had been what led to my success in in
1: life. That decision that you just made, you retired. You know, when you were talking in in your head, naturally you were thinking, oh, my wife retired, and I carried her doing something. And you're like, you retired. I'm like, even that conversation, how did that go down?
0: I started off as a private in the military, just as a regular soldier. And I went to Sergeant, and then I transferred to become an officer, so I, you know that that's how I did twenty five years at that moment in our life. we made a strong decision where my wife was advancing rapidly as an officer, and I was you know we have this magic number in our head twenty years in the military because then you get this retirement uh, It's changed a little bit, but when we met i I talk about this in my book because when we met, we knew that at one point when I hit the twenty year mark she, her career would become the priority and she made a bunch of sacrifices for my career, you know, those last 10 years in the military. But that's not to say it wasn't a huge decision, even for me as a, as a person, like my identity was a soldier to make that decision. But it really comes down to prioritize priorities. I hit my 20 year mark and actually kept going five years. You're like, Hey, didn't you say you would to get out at 20? Uh, so that was a real conversation actually in the, in these three years, uh, my wife got cancer and had to go through a dual mastectomy. It, it was a real, this is what life does to you. It, it makes you as, at times, and it's happened a couple of times in my career, understand what matters most to you, right? If you're always on the train and always trying to achieve what really matters to you. And that moment, which was, you know, around my 23 year mark, my wife got cancer. Like, Hey, look, you know, you you're, you're, you're Your career isn't as important as your family. It was a combination of things. I I think you caught on that. It was a hard decision for me. But yes, my wife is our Wonder Woman. She is advancing much farther than I ever did. And we fully support her. And actually, when I got out, I didn't know either. So she went through cancer, kicked cancer's butt, and then made it back to work. Because usually the Army wanted to like, hey, you need to deal with this. You need to get out of the Army. And it was, again, goes back to her, her identity was, being in the army and she made it work, kicked cancer's butt and then went off to war. Well, that was right at the, literally like the month that I retired. So as soon as I retired, I became the stay-at-home dad with three small kids while she went off to war. And I talk about that in my book. You talk about life changes. So that was a huge, huge moment for me.
1: Earlier you talked about how you didn't have a father. Now you've got kids, you're raising where was your example for fatherhood? Was that from the military and raising kids now? How how have they changed? I know you talk about it changed you, but how have they change your mindset mentality from being a soldier to being a father because of two different things.
0: Absolutely. Oh, I'd love to write a book about that. Uh, <laughs> so yes, like I said, you know, there were men teaching me how to shave in basic training. There was, I learned how to eat right, earn respect, coming up as a soldier. So clearly some of my approaches to fatherhood are deeply wedded in the values that I learned in the military and, and same thing with my wife. So my kids are kind of, kind of doomed to <laughs> uh, one thing I learned, which was hugely different from being a soldier. Some people think about being in the military. It's just telling people what to do. Like you just give out orders and people follow it. And that's pretty far from the truth. Um, that's not how leadership works in the military. It's you, you gain respect, you gain, you inspire people to follow you. Many of these values, yes, absolutely. I learned in the military, I apply to parenting and fatherhood. Me and my wife are very adamant about values of like raising good people, about, you know, healthy, good people. And all those values, they go back to your values, even for us, family values, uh, but that are clearly seen in militaries as a you know loyalty is important right and wrong human values all these things that we hope translate to kids but like I said when when she went off to war I, I got that rude awakening of like you're not going to tell them what to do you, you know that's not how parenting works right and that's I would rather lead a combat mission against an enemy city than <laughs> you know dealing with a four year old <laughs> He's got attitude because you're not going to – it's just not how parenting works either. So, yeah, the strongly wedded in military values, but many of those values – and that's why I think people look to military personnel about leadership, but it's values-based leadership. And as a father, I'm the leader of my family with my wife. We're a team.
1: Speaking about your being a team and, and your amazing, amazing wife going off to war, because normally you, you hear some of the stereotypes about when men go off to war and how women tend to feel about that. What was it like for you with her going off and you retiring?
0: Yeah, it was really tough. And people really appreciate that part of my book because I, I try to be as real as possible, journaling about how hard it was for me as a person. you know, With your significant other person being gone for nine months and all the... you know, In the military, we call it burden of command. But as a parent, you and, and a lot of people, single parent, but to transition immediately to... There used to be two people doing this. Now there's one, and then all the the emotional problems that you're as the person that's gone off the war dealing with that. And I struggled with what what does it mean to be strong? You're basically in the military. You, you are exposed to like stoic values, right? You internalize, you compartmentalize, you you be strong. It's part of especially I was an infantryman. You know what is strong, and I'm now you know out of the military, single basically parenting by myself. And it's really hard. So, but then my kids are struggling. And there's one moment where my son, who at the time was nine years old, and he's like, I really, you're know, really breaking down. And the only thing I could really say was be strong, but it isn't it that these things are gender based, right? So my wife went off the war. I'm the stay home parent. This is a mission, right? This is a, this is a, a role that I'm going to play. It's interesting that in the book, it also talks about these connections, right? So unlike war ever in history, soldiers can stay connected to their families daily. So I my kids could talk to their mom on FaceTime every night. So what that caused was, it wasn't like I could just, okay, I got the helm, I'm now in charge, you're going to listen to dad. Every night, they're going to talk to mom and, and tell on you what you just did today. Like he yelled at us, he's making us do this. You know. So now the complexity of your decisions or whatever really tests that teamwork, right? So there has to be empathy, understanding, but I'm also, you know, a career soldier. So I'm trying to protect her from home, like the craziness of home. And she wanted none of that. So I had no problems with the the switching. Like my, my wife is a strong woman and and, and now I'm the parent. I, I didn't have any of that, that issues, but it was, was the challenge of leading you are know, being that, that parent in this, but still connected to your partner and doing it as a team. Uh It's not
1: just that it became dad's way. That part you mentioned around you're trying to protect her. It's a, it's a really important one, isn't it? Cause I guess when you're in war, you want to just focus on the mission ahead, not thinking about home. You need to be concentrated. If not, you can get killed. It's important.
0: Yeah. And that, I think that was one of the biggest moments. So in 2008, I was in Baghdad and at that time, you know, the connections were everywhere, but I would, I would have soldiers with massive problems coming from home that were impacting their ability to do their job. There's one in the book where a a soldier, his pregnant girlfriend is overdosing on drugs back home and it just crushes him. And he can't, he can't function. Like he can't go out on the mission. Uh, and that's the world we live in. And it's just, it's just what, it is the new world and when the world changed so does the military but that instant connection means that everybody's dealing with a foot in both worlds so I was trying to shed my wife from that, that world the home world and she wanted none of that so I had to I supported her but you could clearly tell that it was impacting both sides
1: are you an advocate for technology than at home when you think about it because if You're getting that, that connection straight and that information is coming through, which can impact your performance. Isn't there some sense that says, well, we need to have that separation.
0: Yeah. So that's a great question. It is a double-edged sword. Of course it has huge benefits. When I met my wife, we were going on 15 month deployments and I can't imagine having been a parent and say, I'm going to, I'll see you in a year and a half because the world changes, kids change everything. So these connections are of course, great. Because soldiers are complex human beings. They, they need their loved ones. They need their families, the things that are important to them. And they struggle with that. So what I try to explore in the book is about there are times that matter most. Like, you're, you're one, you're not going to cut off. And I'm not the old guy saying, just, just these kids and their technology, they just need to turn it off. Stay off your phones. Because I was doing it. I was emailing, texting, all that in war. But as I try to pick apart just the human experience, there are times that are more important, as in like actual like time together as a group deployed together, like your family at war. So soldiers need each other to survive war. But there are certain moments that are more important than others, and this is what I saw in two thousand eight. Like they were just spending all their time on lines; they weren't team building. And the military is like you know it's like iconic for team building, right? These these uh even retreats and things like that that military personnel will set up for for other people because we know that shared hardships bring together a team but so does eating food together so it's just spending quality time with another person brings you closer to them so when you have a connected person they, that's fine that's their they have multiple lives multiple identities but as a as a leader of a group, like a whether it's a sports team or, or a military unit deployed at the war, there are some times like, look, at this moment, we need to be together. So in the military, we know that like doing exercise together bonds you. But we also know breaking bread together, eating together as a, as a squad or a unit actually builds. And we, we do that as a family, right? Even in our connected worlds, we make sure we eat together as much as possible with no electronics, quality time, because that's where really interpersonal relationships get built. But even in war, there was times when we would experience really horrible things as a group. And this is one of the the first red, red lights i noticed as a leader. We were going out on a mission or a combat patrol. One of the patrols, a, a small child gets killed, and it's very traumatic to all of us. And we came back to our base, and everybody gets online and starts talking to their families about it. At that moment, it was important for the group to come together and discuss what had just happened. So in general is that there is time that is very important to forming groups like soldiers or whatever it is. Not all time is important, but there is some time that is really has bonding properties and some people either know that or don't. But the leaders are responsible to identifying those moments that would create those, we call it cohesion but those bonds between individuals that translate to performance for us it's combat performance
1: how do you keep on growing as as a leader because you mentioned back between when you started to probably when you were like 2003 to when like you came back again and you saw that shift happening you can easily easily into no, this is the military. This is what we do. I'm not going to change my leadership style. And you can push into that or you can take a step back and reflect and be like, okay, I need to adapt a to new way of leading the troops I currently have. So how do you do that?
0: Yeah, I think it's it goes back to what the military gave me when I joined the army. It, it, there, there's something in the values that you're always learning, right? So, Throughout my entire career, you know, there's education, there's training, but there is this actual value of learning is living. Like if you're not if you're not growing, if you're not studying and learning, then for us in the military, it means you're you're not you're not doing your profession right. There's lots of responsibilities, and I I translate that to my even my life today, whether it's about parenting or hobbies or my profession now, which is just to, to continue to study the changes in war, you know, we have these things like leaders are readers. I honestly think it's learning is living. Like literally if you're not growing, then you're not really living. Uh, so by growing, it means intellectually. If that was ex- somehow ingrained in me into, into me in my military career. And I, of course, I've translated it to my children. is that you, you should be learning something at all times and trying to grow and improve, whether it's your fighting position or yourself. So that's, I think, where that translated and and why that reflective knit, you kind of attributes. And you, if you read my book, the the first part of it is literally just research, like even answering the question of why people join the military, why do they fight, like those are research questions. That element of learning and how to learn was something that I, which is weird to say, learned in the military, not in school, right? And this is what I try to tell you: you you try to expose your kids or soldiers to things that they interested in and, and learn. In school, I was learning because I was being told to. In the military, you learn that learning is how you live. It's how you perform as a soldier or as a leader. Is that If you're not constantly learning, then you're actually becoming weaker. So it goes back to that that element of strength, right?
1: So also because you bought into the values while you listen. Because in theory, at school, you're told the more you learn, the more you grow. When you're in the military, it's Very, very similar. The more you learn, the more you grow, the more you become stronger. But you tapped into one and responded positively to one and the other one you completely ignored, which I I also did when I was at school. So, So what is it? Was it the fact that you have to be value aligned with whoever's telling you that and that's what makes it make more sense and makes you want to buy into it?
0: Yeah, it's a tough question. So, I mean, values can be told to somebody or they can be embodied. If you would have checked in on me at like four years into the military, I would have been like, yeah, yeah, that's the values. I'm, so, I'm supposed to be doing these things. Like, Really, when you come in the military, you just do what you're told, and, and that's pretty much... Um, I think there's an element of training. You're always oriented towards a test or a goal. And just being better became my goal. So in in school and when I started the military, there was a test, right? There was some type of test. And a lot of people train towards the test. Something happened in my career to where... The test became getting better, getting stronger, getting more knowledge, knowledge is power, all these things that people say, but literally, the goal became improving. Maybe it's because I had a lot of bad, you know, like I said, the cancer, when I took my company in in Iraq in 2008, it was, there were so many problems, it was almost overwhelming. But if I look back at it reflectively, it was a test. It was a test of everything that I had done up to that moment. Like, are you ready to do this? Are you ready to lead in adversity? Um, I, I think life gave me tests that you know, made those values really sink in. Because values are, can be tested. Like, I, I can test your ethics. I can test your your core values of why you say is important to you. And the military is great a great life experience that will put you to the test. And we have schools even that... I can test your heart. I can test your integrity. Well, life put me to the test in many situations. With that value of, if you're not learning, if you're not growing, then you actually go in the wrong direction. You don't grow. You you can become you know weaker.
1: How do you break that down to people now with the work you do, especially in, in when you go into businesses and you have that conversation around? You as leaders need to grow, but also around the team cohesion. Because as you were talking, it's interesting. I was like, is the military the first real experience of hybrid working? Just reversed, which is you go away for deployment for nine to 15 months (laughs) and you come back home for a short period of time and then you go away again. It's kind of what came into my mind.
0: As a leader, as a parent, they're always watching, right? So what you do matters more than what you say. So when I now as a, I put in parentheses, expert, I think I'm a student of urban warfare, although I'm considered one of the world's leading experts. And it's not because of what's in my title. It's because when I talk, most people understand that I've I've looked at this, I've researched, I've studied, and I can communicate ideas. Leadership is about leading humans. If you can't communicate ideals, even so that's that inspiring your kids or inspiring your soldiers. I love speaking to people about what it is I, I learn about. And, and, and I show, you know, I travel the world trying to grow and learn and I'll take time to explain things to people. Right. So that's me walking the, the talk. If I can't explain to you about like urban warfare, then I'm not, I can't show you that this value that I say is important is important. So, you know, never, you know, this, that's the worst type of leadership is which just telling people what's powerful. If you can't communicate it in the story, if you can't show them that there is, there is benefits to this process of learning. Hopefully that, that, that gets to what you're saying. But even in my kids, if I can't explain to them, right. So if I can't communicate. They're not going to do the things that I, I want them to do. You know, there's some element they'll do what I'm, what I tell them to, but leadership is also about role modeling. Like if they can't, look at me and see the value in what I'm saying, and it just goes in one ear and out the other. So I think that's where I, I if I can't demonstrate how I can put these things that I learned to, to value and in like a 30 minute presentation, show the value. And I actually think it's pretty funny because in some circles my titles don't mean anything. Whether I'm talking to literally a room full of generals at, at this moment and I'm you know I'm retired major you know, guy who spent some time in the army, you talk to a general, there's some ego there. But I can usually, in a matter of minutes, demonstrate expertise in the field that I'm talking about, whether it's team building, like like we've touched on a little bit, demonstrate that I've kind of looked at cohesion and team building at a very, very foundational element, which is sometimes people need to go back to, like, foundational elements of leading team building, but especially in urban warfare, I can usually convince a room very rapidly that I have some knowledge in what I'm talking about.
1: With the background that you have, when you're in those rooms and environments, or you get called in to speak around different wars happening, do you feel nervous?
0: No. I mean, I I think that's the power, right? That's the power of knowledge. People have told me, like, I'm humble. I know that I'm a student of this. But yeah, when I went on CNN for the first time, people asked me was I nervous to, to be on an international stage being and not giving questions and just being, okay, go. I don't because I, I have confidence in knowing when to say I know something about whatever it is that's being asked or I don't. So that's, I mean, I, it seems like a, a bumper sticker and I actually like the bumper sticker and knowledge is power. It sets you at ease if you are if you know the whatever the topic is that you're going to be asked. And this is whatever profession that this is learning, right? That gives leaders confidence, right? I've discovered even in giving people control is a huge part of leading in, especially in war, but in, in life, it's really when people feel like they don't have control. Like you said, when they get nervous, when they get scared, it's because they feel unprepared. They have this sense of a loss of control, Uh, And you can break that down to war or life, whether it's responding to COVID, uh, whether you you name it, it's when people feel like they don't have control or have a path forward. So when you give people information, it actually, you're empowering other people, which is, which is so cool. So when I get interviewed about war, I I actually enjoy it. Maybe it's self-actualization, but literally somebody values me to where they're asking me a question about something I've looked at for, for years and years and years and they immediately, un- I had the ability to communicate to them something that they thought was complex when it's really simple. That you know, knowledge is power.
1: If you haven't already, can you please follow the podcast? It really helps us grow and it tells the apps that it's the podcast worth listening to, which the fact that you're listening to means that it is and other people need to know about it. In Apple Podcast, if you click the three dots in the top right of your app, look for the follow button and click on it. And in Spotify, the follow button should be just below the show's artwork. Now let's get back into today's episode. I just mentioned self-actualization, which is effectively like I'm gonna I'm gonna call it the holy grail of self-awareness. <laughs> it's probably the best way to kind of to kind of put it without breaking down the the five different rungs of adult development theory. But even with that, and you mentioned that alongside recognizing that you have control. When you think about the military and the army and control, it's like, well, do you have any control? How did you develop that self-actualization, that self-awareness? And was it at a time when you already had the title? Or was it while you were still... Before you had the title, shall I say.
0: So it, it was very iterative, right? So it was, it was growth. You know, so I think self-actualization is that that feeling of you're doing what you were, you were meant to do. As I was growing in the military, there, there's always a sense of you need to know more and be better prepared. That's kind of the path of the military. If you're not at war, you're preparing for war. And you get taught things that are meant to give you control, like actually do these things if you're faced with this situation and it, you will lead to success. And that's kind of our doctrine and, and um, the things that we have learned. We have a, a pretty, the military in and of itself is a, is a culture of passing lessons learned on to younger generations. So every bit of information I was receiving was an attempt to give me control over chaos because war is chaos and life is chaos. But I, I think that, you know, every bit of information, of course, helped me. And sometimes you face a situation like, I got this. I, I've been taught. I've, ex- I've trained it. I experienced it. I, I'm prepared. And that's that powerful feeling. It's when you face something that is just complete unawareness, uh, no information on, that leads to those elements of fear and actually becomes physiological. Like, like when you get nervous, right, your body starts to l- release chemicals so to say that i had it i had it a couple moments but i also was i didn't have it at other times this part of giving you control also gives you resilience what we call resilience the ability to take a hit and and to keep on driving right because you're never going to be prepared for everything Uh, it's just impossible right in life and in in war uh, war is a heightened state of life really i mean it's 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 a really human experience of the worst of life and the best of life, right? The community, the tribe. As I grew, yeah, the, each title is a title, but the titles also represent how much you have learned, right? That's why we grow in our military It's, it's, it's you should have learned. And it doesn't actually work for everybody. So no, it's, it's, it's a really hard question, right? So I, I learned some of the things that make me feel so, ha- like I have this self-actualization was stuff I learned very at the very end, right? like about the the passion i have for writing because i think writing is actually thinking on paper i wasn't given that until way later in my career and even this public speaking thing that i do now there's a difference between public speaking in the military and and like hey put yourself on an international stage and say say you know something about a topic so it's developmental right and that's why i don't consider myself an expert in anything i'm a student of a lot of things and that was because i was given that that pursuit so when i say i've hit self-actualization is i've figured out a role for myself that i it feels right that i'm always learning and people will ask me along my path to to explain things to them which is which is awesome but my self-actualization isn't that i'm an expert it's it's the fact that i'm a student of my domain but also of life
1: what was it like writing the book what was that process like for you
0: it was not fun, to be honest. Uh, so I learned to write articles. Right. So I started writing, eight hundred words. It got easier as I did it more. Uh, although Mark, you, know, I think it's Mark Twain, that says, you know, it's e- your writing's easy. Just sit down to a typewriter and bleed. Uh, but I learned how to write art- short things. I was writing for you know, New York Times, Washington Post, all of the things. That's a different type of writing than writing a book. But. I wanted to write, it was a challenge, right? Setting goals for yourself. So it, it was a a challenge that I committed to was writing a book. And while that sounds, oh, yeah, that should be pretty easy. It was one of the hardest mental things I've ever done is to put, you know, put something together to, to encompass a full book. Uh, so I learned, but I learned so much about the world of writing a book. The, even the there's actually, you know, it's, it's a world of itself, whether it's the publishers, the agents, the marketing, uh, which is great. I get to do what I think is important, which is continue to learn. So now I know a lot about, uh, the process. Like I was literally YouTubing, which is the power of telecommunications. right? I was YouTubing how to write a book, right? Cause there's, there is like a, there is industry standards for how a story is constructed. And I, I, but that's the gift that the military gave me: is when you, to to show you how to learn, not not what to learn. That's part of the process, and you you should get that in school, right? Uh, in in some ways, that that's continuing to be developed too. But I literally was googling how to write a book, even though I had published in almost every newspaper in the world, you know, in the United States at least. But nobody taught me how to write a book.
1: It's Still impressive though, know, being able to go through that and birth this into the world it's um anytime i sit down to write it is tough i mean you got some different thoughts going around your head like does that make sense does that make sense you start second guessing yourself so that whole process i was i'm always very condemned of authors like wow that's that's remarkable
0: yeah and it's so i mean i have friends so one of my my best friends is max brooks so he's the son of the movie star mel brooks Hmm. Uh, he wrote the book called World War Z. It's an amazing story because storytelling is an art in itself. But it's it's human nature too. I learned that in the military. Like if you can, you know, I don't. I hate reading in our books, our doctrine books. They read like freaking stereo instructions. You know, you know this, but people learn in different ways. If you can tell a story, but you are actually teaching people things, whether it's Star Wars or you know books about zombies, which if you know Max Brooks's book about zombies, it's not about zombies. It's actually about human
1: nature. The universe, yeah.
0: yeah. It's it's about how humans respond to things like pandemics and, and other things. So I, I felt I've now fallen in love too with that ability to tell stories. And Max is a good friend of mine and I I respect him so much because he can he can tell a story. But storytelling is also part of leadership, right? Oral and written communication. You can tell it in a story. You're going to. I mean, that's human history, right? The, whether it's the Bible or it's it's uh, Oedipus or you know, all the Iliad stories transcend generations. Stories are how we tell our kids what's important, right? Uh, it's it's how you can you actually can teach people things.
1: In fact, I would like to hear a story from you on. Your greatest lesson, one of your greatest lessons that also came from what can be described as a, as a setback. In
0: 1996, as a young man of 19 years, I was probably 19, I think I was 19, a sequence of events led me to a fight in an alley where I got my ear bit off. And that's a great story in itself that I was involved in this life or death street alley fight where I ended up losing my ear because another human bit it off. Uh, but the, the story is that as I was in the military, it got my ear bit off. I had to go to the hospital in the hospital. I was told that, you know, it would take this long to recover. So I was, I was kicked out of my unit. My unit was the Ranger regiment. So something that was in the military world was literally my sole identity. It was like, I had put my self value being a part of that unit in that group and, when they told me that I was going to be kicked out of that unit because I couldn't wear a helmet for anymore, I had a life crisis. And it sounds trivial now that you look back, but at the moment, it was my primary identity. And it's a great thing, right? Esprit de corps, when people value being a part of a group, I, I talk about it in my book. But I had let it become my sole priority in life. So when they kicked me out of that unit, not only did I have half an ear, but I was I was sent into a spiral of depression. Like, who am I if I'm not a ranger, a part of this unit? It was it was the best thing that could have happened to me, and it led to where I am today. Life is going to knock you down, and it's going to make you reassess what matters in life. So it didn't. You know, being a part of that unit was great, but it, I was still a soldier. I was still had a great job. I I still had amazing opportunities, but I I needed, life gave me that check and it made me reassess what was important to me in life. And I went on to be a better person because of that. I was then given the opportunity to to do amazing things in my career because of that setback. So I think that was the first time I was taught a real lesson on, hey, look, stuff's going to happen. No, my, you're going to get cancer. Uh, that doesn't mean life's over. Like you, you, you knock yourself off, you get back up and you find a new path that's change. That's life. And you can't be so wedded in an identity that you're, it destroys you if something changes. So that I tell that story one, because it's a cool story about the, the, the ear, but it was, it was the first time, in, I think, in my adult life that I got that first check on reality. Hey, life's hard. And, I, we, and these are the things that we try to teach our kid. You can't be so fragile that one event is going to break you. That's not a, a way to lead your life.
1: How long did it take you to go through that process of, okay, this has happened. I'm in trouble. I'm going to get kicked out. This is my identity, depression, and then come back around.
0: It took months. Uh, to be honest, of course, I didn't never stop, right? So sometimes we talk to our kids, and, and I talked about you. Sometimes just forward movement is the path forward, right? You, you, you may not. I did not know what was next, but doesn't mean I stopped. I, I took the next step. You know, I went to another unit. I, I continued doing my job, and and there is this uncertainty, but actually moving forward was a part of the process. But it took me, it took me months to reestablish what my new life would be my new identity and all that within the military world there were you know new units new people but it's the fact that you're quitting so look if i had a code for my family like there are a few things on that code that came from the military but one of them is that quitting is not an option like literally it's not an option so when i had that 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 moment like oh quitting is not an option you, you, you got to keep moving forward and, I, and while I was in depression I still had to go to work I still had to take the next step I still had to perform in my, my duties so that's another and it transcends and we want our quits, kids to know it and we try to create the moments that teach the values right? because again it doesn't matter what you write down or what you say you have to create the moment to expose the value and quitting is never an option. And despite that that life changing moment, the value of never quitting was, was was still in me. I didn't quit. I I took the next step, but it took a couple months to to be honest.
1: Yeah, that mantra of quitting is never an option is a it's an interesting one. I've I've gone back and forth on it so many times. And the reason why I go back and forth on it is normally only don't I buy into it, and the reason why I sometimes like but what does quitting actually mean? Because there are times when it's, I can quit in a situation, but as long as I don't quit myself, and it's learning that, for me personally, learning that distinction between both, because there are certain situations where it's like, this is not healthy, this is not good for you, you need to leave, but then that mantra kicks in that I learned as well, like, but you can't quit, you have to keep on going, you have to push through, but like, yeah, but sometimes you walking away from something, is you saying yes to yourself, and that's the difference that I've had to learn and, and and take on as well
0: no 100% and i i would agree 100% i mean it goes to change is is good i mean to growth you know being able to prioritize what matters most i actually signed my book now stay connected to what matters most
1: ooh i love that
0: uh because are that whole connection whether it's your identity right so when i made that decision that hey look the military had been my life like my entire identity but my priority in life is being a father. So hey, th- this this is a lot easier of a decision once I've prioritized what matters most. So I agree with you. I mean, there are times when you're going to have to not quit, but you're going to have to change direction. Yeah, pivot, yeah. Yeah, pivot. That's that's 100% fine. And and you're right, the words matter. So uh, but I'm a big believer in, you know, never quit. And that could just be in in life.
1: One thing that talks about is around the, the mental side of things when it comes to the military. How do you stay grounded? How do you stay connected to yourself as a husband, father, ex-military man having served in Iraq and other different sides of things?
0: I learn, I adapt, I fall down. That's just a part of my life even today. And I think that, there, there are a lot of values in the military that transcends to that. Even finding a new career, that identity crisis that happens, especially when we leave the military. I think it's really because of my, my constant learning and constant research that I can help myself identify the things that I need and the things that I want. There are things that I need. And I talk about this in a book. We need family. We need community. Even if I didn't have children, needing a community a tribe or you know what are these words we use a group of friends human interactions and i think that's what COVID taught me at least was like hey i can go into a virtual world for a little while but as a human we need physical connections it literally will light up our lives it it is physiological you know this is what the world should have learned from COVID, as we did go into a, a disconnected world but the rise in suicides, the rise in depression, the rise in you know, all these problems that come from that. This is what I've had the gift of is being able to identify the things that we need and the things that are just nice to have or we want. I need family. I need to be learning about something. Uh, I need that constant back from life feedback from what is the world. Uh, so I think that's helped me. Is is pri- you know, we say leaders are priority. You know, they they're in the business. Of building teams, but they're also in the business of identifying priorities. If everything's important, then nothing's important. I've been gifted on being put in situations on where, look, dude, everything isn't important. What's most important at this moment, today, this week? Uh, that's even as a post military career, I, I have to do that all the time. Like we want our kids to do a lot of things, but like there's some things they need. And we actually go through a drill with with my oldest kid because it's, you know, they're developmental as well. Like, okay, what's most important to you in life? What what are our priorities? Well, you know, family, school, friends, sports. Like, but it's just a drill. And like, what are the things you need? What are the things that matter most?
1: Do your kids want to go into the military as well? Taking after mom and dad or?
0: Absolutely not, (laughs) Uh, which is we have three kids you know, at this moment they're 11 9 7 so you know, what they're interested in changes sometimes day to day and this is we're just about exposing them to as much of life as possible cuz it's about broadening them we think that's one of our roles as parents but my my son we, we were at west point really a, a military academy that it's an amazing place and he just said i, I don't want this and i'm going to we're going to let him make those decisions of course and let all of our kids make those decisions but we'll see. But right as of right now, hey, maybe it's because that deployment, you know, that deployment, you really impacted them, and it was hard for them. So you, this is our job is to role model these things. I would love that they did, but of course, I'm going to love them no matter what they do.
1: I think it'd be fair to say that you break a lot of stereotypical norms, not only through the fact that right now, for example, you're a stay home dad. But even writing in itself, sometimes that's not seen as the most manly, masculine thing to be doing, let alone coming from someone who was in the military. Did you ever get any any backlash? Did anyone make any comments, say anything to you when you started to do this and even ever since?
0: A hundred percent. That's more the story than not. Luckily, I was exposed to amazing individuals who said, even if you're in a group of people that don't value what you're doing, but you're, you're centered on what you think is important, sometimes it is a lonely path. But you absolutely, it's, a, it's interesting you ask that. Even in my writing career, towards the end of my career, like people would say sometimes to you, I wish I had the time to write, like other soldiers, right? That are doing what they think is most important. And I always found that that comment so interesting. Like, of course, we all have time to do things. You just don't value the process of writing. Okay, that's fine. Luckily, I, I had these centered values, sometimes chart off on my own path, even the, the book writing, like I, you name it. I was given that gift to know that sometimes the path you're on may be a lonely path. And this is entrepreneurship, you name it. Writing was one of those things for me uh, where they all the time people would, I wish I had the time to write. Or some people, once you start doing it, think that it's easy. Yeah, it's just easy for you to do that. No, it's not, not at all. I think the struggle is important because I'm learning to do something. That uncomfortable feeling, uh, some people even in the military get really comfortable with easy and that's the path they're on. Sometimes I enjoy that challenge, right? So these goals, that challenge, it all goes back to my, my centered value that learning is living. So if I just got comfortable, then I wouldn't, clearly I'm not, That struggle is a part of learning. So many times to get into where I am now, people were naysayers, negative, I mean, you name it. Uh, And I wouldn't be where I am now if I would listen to any
1: of those voices. There's a, we're talking about that growth and that development, even in the adversities that we face from people and their comments and their statements. It only makes you stronger because it's like, well, all right, cool. I'm, I'm going to do me. <laughs> and when I do me, you're going to be the same person who's like, oh, wow. I wish I could do that because like you said, you're being very intentional around it. And it's also set an example for your kids, which as we all know, is something super important to you where it's like, be willing to carve your own path, regardless of what other people say.
0: A hundred percent. One of our values is be a leader. That's the bumper sticker, but it's actually don't look to others for your self-value. So when we say be a leader... It means for us, we're trying to explain to like, I don't need other people to validate me. If I think this is the right thing to do, then I, I move forward on that path. It's the bumper of be a leader. It is not looking to everybody else for your own value.
1: Is that how you define leadership?
0: If you force me to give you a, my definition of leadership. <laughs> I want to hear it.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: I'm going to steal from the military because I think the military actually gets it right sometimes. The military and John Spencer defines leadership, the process of providing people the mission, like tell them what to do, the reason, the purpose, and the inspiration. Now, that's my definition, but the the, the first two are kind of easy. Sometimes leaders, need I needed to be reminded like, hey, that's your role. You set the mission. You set the task, the priority. You have to tell them why, like those are kind of easy things in the military, but that last one is inspiring people is the one that is the hardest. And even in my role, which is where we started the conversation, right? As a, as a father, like I, I can get, I can tell them what's important. I can tell them why I think it's important. Like, Hey, look, it's, you, we got to eat right. It's that inspiration. So I think leaders, my definition of leaders is that inspire. I inspire people to attack that hill or to for my kids eat right that's my role as a a leader is to provide that inspiration and that's the hardest most gray thing there is in my definition of course
1: in your i'm going to call it the learner's mindset that you have as you look to the future what is what is next for you what would you like to achieve
0: the world that i live in so the topic that i have which is, you know, if you get into academics, some people look at uh, PhDs as kind of experts, right? But uh, if you know what a PhD, a doctor is, in my fields in academics, it's somebody that knows a lot about a very narrow topic. So I have the gift of this topic of war, uh, warfare, and, and, and fighting in urban areas like cities. I mean, that's a huge gift because I can never discover the end of that right? Whether I study the actual science of cities, like mega cities, smart cities, feral cities, or fighting in urban areas from Ukraine to Taiwan, like my, my path forward of learning is, is endless. And that's, that's great. Like I'm never going to hit the top and say, okay, I know it all, uh, in my field of of this learning, but you, especially in parenting and all that. So I have goals. If you ask me, like, what are my what are my next goals, right? Because I think people need that too along this path of learning. You get to have goals, whether it's having something published, you're know, presenting to a bigger forum. Right? I presented at the United Nations, NATO. Those were all like these intermediate wins that I needed. I have more books on. Uh, I think this book thing. I haven't really figured out this book thing, which is storytelling. I've created some stories that are very, like that that go viral. We didn't mention how I, I wrote a book for Ukraine when the war started to explain to civilians how to fight, how to defend their cities and their blocks. And that was another moment I think of self actualization. One, I did it with no affiliation. Right, I I didn't do it as a with my job. I did it as a guy who's been studying this topic for a while. Well, I created a book that went. Viral and hundreds of thousands of copies were printed across Ukraine. It was a hundred percent for free, but it was another life moment for me. Is that I set myself on this learning model? I learned something about a topic that people then needed. Literally, entire millions of people needed in a moment of stress and life or death situation. You're going to have huge wins. You're going to have huge losses. That was a huge win for my my life values is that somebody needed the information that I had been collecting, the knowledge that I had been collecting. And I was able to translate that into something really understandable for millions of people. Wow.
1: It's stepping into the gap and stepping into the gap in a way that is, it's just you doing you. Like I said, there was no affiliation whatsoever. It's just you writing what you know. And I call that being in flow state it's it's that it's that purpose space where you're just just doing you and it's making an impact it's making a difference because you're just pouring out what you know time and time again and it just flows so easily for you which is absolutely amazing i mean i can imagine what impact that book made to people just being able to read that and navigate a situation like that's just turned their life upside down just in an instant
0: yeah i'm a huge fan of the, the theory of flow there's a couple of books on it, but it's a, it's, it's really this state of hyper living. There's this book by this psychologist that taught it's the, literally the book is called flow. It really impacted me as a pursuit of life is, is that's the true element of happiness is when you're in that flow state and you can be in that flow state, whether you're gardening or you're writing a, a, a manual for people, how to f- defend their cities. I was in that flow state. Absolutely. Interesting that you said that word because it means a lot to me. Oh,
1: okay. I'm going to check the book out because now, now I'm super curious as well. And I was like, I want to read that, actually.
0: Yeah, it's crazy that there's th- this guy is actually you know, researched and figured out that there's a there's actually a formula to entering that state, that flow state. It takes there, there are actual conditions that had to be met, and, and one of them is actually feedback. So whether you're a race car driver or whatever, you have to have feedback, like a chess player who's in, you know, a, a grandmaster. One of the elements of flow is that it, it isn't easy. It actually becomes almost auto-control, but it, it's actually, you're getting feedback in some mechanism to even know that you're doing the right or wrong things. It's, it's fascinating.
1: What's the, what's the author's name?
0: Uh, it's hard to say. It's like Mikhail. It, it's, it's a very long ah, term. But...
1: Okay. Let's come to Mike. As soon as he said that, I was like, Mihaila. Yeah, I remember that.
0: But the, it's literally just called flow and there's some I think there's a subtitle to it. If you do an Amazon check, there's a formula to achieving that state of flow and he found it in you know just in all around the world and different people in different lives where they they had where you find people that are just so happy and sometimes they're doing a thing like how can you be happy doing that whatever it is? But because they've achieved that flow state and I think so i think it goes really back to the military like whether some people in the military get exposed to a a flow whether it's literally war uh fighting but they're actually in this heightened sense of they've trained something and done something they're getting feedback from a, a worthy adversary some people go throughout life and never get flow you're right in writing i get it because i struggle. In writing, but when it comes together, it's it's it feels so right.
1: Where can people find out more about you, get more your writing, and really tap more into that that experience that you just shared the last hour or so?
0: Sure. So I'm although you know, people say that I'm anti technology I'm I'm not <laughs> so I'm on all the social media platforms uh, I even have my own podcast show but if you on Twitter I'm spencer guard my main thing is I have johnspenceronline.com where all my writings and you know all my media appearances and all that stuff you can find my, my books uh, are on amazon.com just connected soldiers I have one coming out next month called understanding urban warfare you know if that's an in interest of people but yeah i'm out there so it doesn't take it isn't that hard
1: and all the the website the podcast which is the urban warfare project podcast all the links everything will be in the show notes because i want people just to tap more and more into into what you've got to say but it's been a it's been an absolute pleasure knew you're gonna enjoy this before we got going so for me it's been it's been great so i really appreciate you sharing your experiences john well thanks
0: brother i mean talk about some deep questions and really <laughs> um life is about connections and and, and that's okay. the beauty of this is i feel like i we connected because man those questions were were tough
1: you answered them skillfully it's just like, <laughs> it's just like a pro
0: <laughs> thanks so much
1: uh problem. this is everything leadership we'll see you next week